It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The death of murder suspect Ian Bailey. His solicitor says his client was an easy target for Garthy investigating the Sophie Toscan Duplantier case. This was a state and media construct designed to target somebody to become accountable for the crime that was committed. I'm live here in Carlo, one of the rural towns recently rocked by immigration protests. We take the local political temperature. going live to Carlo shortly, but first tonight, the death of Ian Bailey, the chief suspect in the 1996 murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier in County Cork. Just before we came on air, I spoke to Irish Independent Southern correspondent Ralph Regal about the case and the complicated character of Ian Bailey. Yeah, that's certainly one of the words that springs to mind when you're trying to describe Ian Bailey. Complicated is one I've heard other words used, such as flamboyant, narcissistic, egotistical, uh, generous with his time, but also manipulative. Um, even his his former partner, uh, Welsh artist Jules Thomas, uh, she described him as a creature of excess. And I think that's a particularly apt description of the 66-year-old. Now, the family of Ms. Duplantier have reacted to news of Ian Bailey's death. They're saying they will never get truth and justice for her murder following his death. Do they hold out any hope? Uh, I don't think they do, no. Uh, I think it's a double disappointment for them. Um, they certainly did not want to see Ian Bailey pass away before the cold case review had reached its conclusion. And I think the other part for them is the fact that they've not seen justice done for Sophie here in Ireland. And I think it's interesting that Pierre-Louis Baudet-Vigneault, uh, Sophie's uh, only child, um, who still owns her holiday home in Tourmore, he made the point that um, despite the conviction of Ian Bailey before a Paris Magistrates Court back in May 2019 for the murder of his mother, and of course he was handed a 25-year prison sentence for that, Ireland did not extradite him. There were no charges brought against Ian Bailey at any time uh, since uh, his mother's body was discovered on the morning of December the 23rd, 1996, on the laneway leading to her holiday home at Tourmore. And they still lay a lot of blame then at the, the hands of the state. Um, Mr. Plantier's brother saying it was the fault of Ireland because Ian Bailey was convicted, as you say, in 2019. Now, he wasn't in the Paris court for that. No, very much so. He was tried in absentia and that uh, Paris proceedings followed an eight to nine year investigation uh, led by a Paris magistrate, uh, Patrick Gachon. And of course, under Napoleonic law in France, 
the French are able to conduct a prosecution for a crime, even though it didn't happen on French soil. All that matters is that it involved a French citizen. And in this particular case, the investigation involved the second exhumation of Sophie's body. It entailed the French police being given full access to the Garda murder file by the Irish state. It even involved uh, elite, elite teams of French detectives travelling to Ireland to examine the scene and interview some of the prime um, witnesses in the case. Uh, so despite all of that, despite the prosecution, I think the family feel very aggrieved that there was no judicial action taken in Ireland. And of course, it's worth pointing out that since 2010, when the first attempt by the French to extradite Ian Bailey happened, on three separate occasions, the Irish courts have refused uh, to enforce European arrest warrants issued by the French for Mr Bailey. Now, Ralph, the cold case investigation is uh, continuing. What progress has been made in that regard? And given Ian Bailey's passing now, what impact will it have on that investigation? Well, it doesn't end the cold case review. I think it's very important to say that, and the police will still continue their investigation. Of course, there are two strands. There's an ongoing Garda murder investigation uh, from West Cork, but in tandem with that, you also have this cold case review. And the aim is that the cold case review team will have access to new technology, will go back and look at all of the original statements, will try and garner new evidence and bring recommendations on that basis to the, the, the murder um, theme. And, uh, of course, the, the aim was, of course, to see would there be sufficient evidence to warrant uh, the Director of Public Prosecution sanctioning a prosecution. Of course, given the death of Ian Bailey, who is the key figure, really, both in the original murder investigation and in the cold case review. It's hard to see what can happen. I mean, certainly the cold case review will continue. And I think the hope of the French family is that it will make certain findings or certain recommendations that would involve Mr Bailey. But I think while it doesn't, his death doesn't end the cold case review and it's not the ending, I think it certainly is the beginning of the final chapter. Ralph Regal, Southern correspondent with the Irish Independent, bringing us up to date there. Well, let's go live now to Kira, who's at Carlow College in the heart of Carlow Town for us tonight. Kira. Thanks, Claire. I am here in Carlow tonight, one of the towns which recently saw immigration protests. In a moment, I'll be joined by my panel of local guests. But first, the story of one refugee who successfully integrated into the local community here. Earlier, I spoke with Carlow resident Zahir Uden, who came from the Rohingya community. Zahir, lovely to speak to you and thank you for speaking to us here at The Tonight Show. Zahir, when you arrived in Ireland with your family back in 2009, what kind of reception did you get by the local community back then? Well, thank you for having me here as well. Um, it's been a pleasure to see, you know, having you guys here. Um, well, in 2009, uh, we arrived in, 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 in Ireland and we lived in County Mayo for about six to seven months because they want to train us. You know, how you guys gonna live in when you go to Carlo? How you guys how you guys gonna act with the with the local community over there. So they were training us for like six to seven months in County Mayo in an apartment where all the Rohingya community was in the one spot. 
And so we were training there. And after seven months later, they brought us in Carlo. And we got involved in Carlo, you know, going to their local school and, you know, meeting new peoples, you know. And do you remember that period of time in your life at 13 years of age, arriving into Carlo? Were you scared? Were you concerned, fearful, or did you feel welcomed? I did feel welcomed because I didn't have much facilities back in Rohingya camp. Like, just simply having a football, I couldn't afford that back in Rohingya camp. And coming here, you know, there is so much, so many toys to play, you know. As a, as a, as a, as a young, young guy at the age of 13, you need, to, you need to have some kind of facilities to, to play, you know. So we had that here, you know. And the, the, the good thing is the people were very kind, you know, they were helping out. Even though we didn't speak English, they had a, some kind of science language they were using. So we're pretty happy with that, you know. And things that we don't see back home, we've seen it here. We see the opportunities are here, you know. And we didn't have this sort of opportunity in the, in the hanging camp. We didn't have that. So, you know, something, something massive change in, in my life. You know? And what were the opportunities that you saw here in Ireland? Um, the, the, the education way is massive, you know. You have, you have some sort of language that you can able to communicate others, you know. And like in, in the Rohingya camp, there was, no, there was no any English at all. No schools, no, no, nothing that a human needs, you know. Hospital ways, you know. And if you want to have a good communication with others, you can't have none of that, you know. So when I came here, like you see college, school, sports ways, you know, so many, so many things are going on, you know. And, you know, you just have to choose it and be involved into it. And then these are the opportunities I've seen. And for my, my, my young brothers and sisters as well, you know. And my father said, this is, this, this is the life, you know. This is, why, this, is how you, that's, this is how you're supposed to be, you know. What was the number one thing, would you say, is I hear, that helped you to integrate into the community here? It's a sport. It's, it's a sport. In Carlo, there's so many sports, you know. And one sport that wasn't there, it was cricket, you know. And so we're playing soccer and everything like that, you know. And then when all the community guys, all my, my Rohingyans brothers and brothers, they came down together, they said... Okay, there's football, there is gay league football as well, hurling and things like that. But there's no cricket. You know, we miss this cricket. We see in Bangladesh, the refugee camp, the only national sport was cricket. You know, but we don't see cricket. Where is the cricket? So you and brought cricket to Yes, Carolina. so re, like, yes, you know, we have to play some kind of cricket. Cricket should be there. You know, that's in our blood, like, you know. And so... We, you know, we, we had to come together. One day we were playing football and then said, like, boys, we need, how do we play cricket here? You know, we need a bat. And nobody sells bats in the, in the shop in, 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 in Carlo. You know, nobody sells, nobody have cricket gears. And so we had to go a place called Argus, you know, the, underneath of the Carlo cinema. We went there and looked at the book and things like that and found out the cricket bat. Have you experienced any backlash or any racism? Or do you have any fears now about being from the Rohingya community and now being in Carlo? 
there is racism. There is there is racism. You know, I don't because I came from a I came from a, such a poor village, and when I see things like this, the next te- the next second I do is say nothing and move on. You know, because I came from nothing. I my my word is not powerful enough for this zone. So the best ways I can do is ignore it and move on to the next step. This is the way I was doing it. But yes, there is racism. There is, there is, diff, there is some some people who make differences and things like that. Yes, there is. You know, in Kerala especially as well. So that's that's what that's one of one of me anyway. So. Uh, Zahir Uden speaking to me a little uh, earlier this evening. Well, here in uh, Carlo Library, I am now joined by Councillor Brian O'Donoghue from Fine Gael, Councillor Adrian Wallace of Solidarity People Before Profit and Labour Councillor Will Patton. You're all very welcome to the programme. Will, I want to come to you first because Zahir, when I spoke to him earlier, spoke of a really positive experience of being part of the Rohingya community and being resettled here in 2009. There was also a second Syrian resettlement programme back in 2018, also, I think, deemed very successful. Now we've seen protests in recent weeks. What has changed, do you think? Uh, well, first of all, I'm absolutely delighted that Zahir and his family have had a positive experience here in Carlow. I think the big change has been the explosion of the number of refugees across the world. The United Nations High Commission for Refugees estimates that there's now over 110 million refugees across the world seeking safety and security. Uh, there's more refugees now than any time since World War II. I believe that most Irish people would genuinely try to reach out to refugees and help in any way that they can. But unfortunately, because of government mistakes, uh, it has turned the other way. And what uh, are those mistakes as you identify them, particularly here in Carlotown, where we have seen protests at the Capuchin Friary in the last number of weeks? Well, I think the failure to uh, communicate a strategy on uh, migration and refugees in Ireland as a whole has been a big mistake. Secondly, I think that uh, failure to consult with local groups and communities that could have assisted in resettling people here in Carlow. And thirdly, I think there's, especially in towns, the smaller towns like Tullow, there's been a failure to provide uh, support facilities and wraparound facilities for the refugees. And that makes it much more difficult for people to understand why they should be supporting refugees. Okay, tell me what's happening in Tullow, that's an area that you represent. I represent the Tullow area. It's a small town of about 5,100 people. There are 60 Ukrainian refugees in Tullow and 41 international protection refugees. The international protection refugees arrived in June last year. Little or no uh, announcement about it. It just seemed to happen overnight. In fairness to the lads that have come to Tullow, they have reached out to the community and made the best they could of it. But I think there's... a a real failure uh, in the sense that the supports aren't there on the ground. Like what? What like, kind for of instance, supports? For instance, the guys, if they want to get uh, English lessons, and English is a huge issue for many of the refugees that come in, in order to get English lessons, in order to get IT training, in order to get other uh, industrial and uh, tra- vocational training, they actually have to get a bus from Tullow to Carlow Town. And that costs them €8 Euros out of the 38.50 a weekly allowance. I think that's unfair if you look at it from the point of view that 
uh, refugees here in Carlow can just walk down to the training centre in Solis, whereas the ones in smaller towns have to transport in. Why so you think the, the smaller rural towns and villages aren't suitable places for international protection applicants or indeed Ukrainian families? They should be sent to towns, bigger towns, and perhaps the cities? I think you need to send the refugees to where the facilities are and the supports are to enable them to integrate into Irish society. How can you expect them to integrate? How can you expect them to become part of the community if the facilities and supports aren't on the ground? Okay, um, one of the uh, difficulties, and I think you would accept that, Brian O'Donoghue, that the communication and the consultation around mm. this issue has been deeply flawed uh, from the beginning. But do you think even now, even if that communication piece was improved, the protests that we've seen here in Carlow Town and indeed in many other towns and villages across Ireland would stop? Uh, no, well, first, you're very welcome to Carlow, uh, Kira. Um, no, I don't think they would stop. I think we're at a situation now where the, the misinformation has been driven to a point that's going to be very, very hard to pull it back. I do think there's a responsibility on councillors and TDs right around the country to be a little bit braver. And um, when they find out the information, it's not good enough for us to say um, we haven't been given the information. We have a responsibility to go and find the information and bring it back to those people who uh, don't seem to either understand or appreciate uh, the situation that we're in. And it's, a very, it's an evolving situation, you know, wouldn't it have been great to be able to plan uh, for uh, war in Europe? Wouldn't it have been great to be able to plan for um, the, the huge uh, migration that Will has been talking about? But this has, um, war in Europe broke in 2022. Um, there's all uh, the displacement all over uh, parts of Africa, parts of the Middle East, and no country was preparing uh, for that. Okay, and there is a wider debate about whether or not Ireland could have prepared better, perhaps mm -hmm. even two years ago when there were questions being asked about the well, reception centre and the capacity yeah. within those reception centres. Just to bring it back though, I want to keep this local to go back to mm -hmm. the situation in Carlow, particularly in Carlow Town, mm -hmm. where a march is now planned or a rally for this Saturday, I understand, and where there is a, still a small number of people protesting. Do you believe Carlow Town is at capacity now? It's very difficult to say whether Carrowtown has that capacity. Like I was just looking today, I think there's six GP uh, surgeries in um, Carrowtown alone, with approximately 15 to 20 GPs in those uh, clinics. If people are telling me that an extra 100 or 200 uh, people is going to overwhelm those uh, surgeries, I'd find that hard uh, to believe when there are people who may desperately need um, some medical attention. I, I just don't know. Um, we have St Bridget's, um, the former hospital there, um, which has been vacant since at least, I think, 2013. Um, nothing's been happening with it. And well, there's lots of speculation that St Bridges Hospital is going to be used well, is. to accommodate. Well, there's no speculation. No, it, it absolutely is. Do you believe that is going to happen? Oh, there's no doubt about that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It hasn't been confirmed yet, but there are plans absolutely to bring uh, refugees to Carlow. But I think there's something wrong. I think there's no something wrong fundamentally. I just think there's something fundamentally wrong. There's clearly issues in Carlow in terms of uh, we have a lack of services, but that's the fault of the government. So protesting outside of centres where there's mm -hmm. terrified families inside is not going to change that because you're actually letting the government off the hook. Here in Carlow, we desperately need an urgent care centre. We have the third longest waiting this one 
when it comes to the CDNT. We have a massive labour shortage when it comes to workers. And here we have people who can be skilled, who can be trained, who can actually give back, as we've already seen with the Rohingya and the Syrian community. It's not the foreigners we need to get out of this country. It's Fianna Gael, it's Fianna Fáil, it's the Vulture Funds. They're the ones responsible for the housing crisis, the housing crisis that existed okay. long before refugees were coming to this town. Um, the, 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 the fears, I suppose, and the concerns that have been vocalised by people protesting here, and perhaps some who aren't protesting, are they the majority opinion, do you think? Absolutely not. We've seen how welcoming Carlo is, and it's fantastic to be here as well in Carlo College, which is the heart of this town and has a fantastic uh, reputation for instilling that level of community as well. Carlo is a welcoming place. And if you look at it, people are protesting outside a friary because 50 uh, unvetted men were, were due to arrive. As far as I'm concerned, single 50 men were already there in the friary, as a friary, but nobody cons were concerned about that. So there's a villainisation, there's a dehumanisation of men. And when but you don't all... think that's the majority opinion? I, uh, it, it absolutely isn't. I okay, just want welcoming. to play a clip because earlier today I spoke with Councillor Charlie Murphy. He has a, a different opinion. Let's hear what he had to say. So do you feel then that people here in the town are reluctant to express their opinions or express the concerns they have around immigration? Some people are afraid to voice their opinion in case they're branded right-wing or racist. And that is a problem. I even see it in our own, um, um, own council no later than this day week. Um, out of 18 members, there was a discussion that came up, I had to do this in council meetings, and only four members were, were prepared to speak on this issue. This broader issue, not, not, not just but this broader issue. It's to speak to immigration. It's about the issue, about the issue. So we haven't had the discussion about immigration. Um, you have to remember, I suppose, our country, generally, immigration went one way, and that was away from this country. We know this. Um, in the last, I suppose, 30 years, only in the last 30 years, really, maybe 25, 30 years, that we've getting, uh, starting to get an influx of people coming in. And we don't seem to have a plan for such movement. We don't seem to have, it all seems to be um, ad hoc, um, put them in somewhere, move them on, and then you have protests left, right and centre. And we've seen these protests, we've seen these protests all, all year, and even late last year, we've seen these protests. And these are, to my opinion, are Middle Ireland people, most of them. And again, a lot of them are, are, would say we can be branded right-wing or racist, which is, I think is unfair. What do you mean these are Middle Ireland people? These what are the people that? that you meet in school. These are the people that you meet in the shop. These are the, the ordinary people. Like, it's, it's a myth to say that, that the far right have taken over this whole migration thing and all these people that are doing their... Uh, uh, arrive at protests. A lot of people arrive at protests for information. That's all to do with straight away the media, and a lot of media, have them known as far right, which I, again, I think is very unfair. We need a discussion. We need a discussion on this whole thing. Not, not, not just sort of black and white. You're for or you're against. We need a discussion. Uh, Councillor Charlie Murphy, who I was speaking to a little earlier today. Well, to go to you, uh, Charlie said, look, this was brought up at a local council meeting earlier this week. Only four councillors spoke up because they feel silenced, they feel afraid, and that ordinary people, he said ordinary Middle Ireland here in Town, are afraid to speak up too because they are concerned that they will be brandished racist or far-right. Do you agree? 
Yes, I do agree. I think the elephant in the room is the fact that we're not actually having a conversation about uh, immigration and refugees. What There's, do we mean by that, though? Well, what conversation are we looking well, for? What is it exactly we're, we need to we're debating? Discuss, like, uh, what, where, why we're bringing everybody in, we're where we're going to place it, where we're going to place people, numbers, and where we're going to uh, accommodate people in the future. Tullow is the a town of 5,000 and 100 refugees have come in. It's not an explosion of people. The issue here, the public consultation needs to be on what services the government are bringing. In Carlow Town alone, there's over 400 vacant properties. Ireland is full of vacant homes. And we need, um, instead of burning centres that can house people, we need to be occupying them. We need to be taking them back into use for everybody. You see, You're not going to get that. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Trin's just, just done Paul. exactly what the problem in Ireland is. That have a I can't have, I, you know, I can't have a point of view, but somebody will jump at me. The issue here, people are afraid to express their point of view because they're scared of being labelled as someone who's far right or racist. Okay, so that's the big issue. Just have a conversation. That's, I just that's disagree with you. That's the big issue. And you have an that's issue. The big issue. Sorry, that's the big issue. That's the big issue. Adrian, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think we have to remember that um, there are people with very extreme views, who are using the same excuse, which is, I don't want to, or you can't ask a question now or you'll be called a racist. And unfortunately, the people with extreme views who say that, they blur the lines. But the people and in extreme there views are, are the minority. I agree, and I agree. But they're they spreading are. fear and misinformation. Okay, Adrian, what about the point that I've heard since I came to the town here is that by using local hotels here in Carlow Town, by using the local guest houses here in Carlow Town, you've removed local jobs from the area and you've removed budget beds from the area that affects something as simple as the Pan-Celtic Festival that's due to take place here in a couple of months. The organisers are under real pressure because because they can't find beds for people. What do you say to those, These, what people might say are very legitimate concerns? The Friary and St Bridget's Hospital were vacant buildings. Tokers, where the Ukrainian refugees, vacant buildings once again. And actually, I think the problem here is that the but government... some of the hotels and the guest houses weren't vacant. They weren't that? vacant. And what we thought is during the winter season, when we don't get many tourists here, we had loads of people coming in experiencing our culture. We had cultural exchanges. We tasted food from all over the world. It was a fantastic and welcoming thing for the town. I just think it's very important. Some of the language they use here, as you say, about looking after our own is a lot of it. Well, what I see every day, and I've just come from Crumlin Children's Hospital, where my little boy is, and where we spent six weeks after he was born. Massive migrant workforce okay. keep the okay. health service going, and they're the Hear ones it. that are looking after our own, and they're doing that better than Fianna okay. Gael or Fianna okay. Well, but in fairness, Adrian, um, there was a community recognition fund set up by the government to acknowledge the fact that some communities are going to feel more pressure because of the increased number of people seeking refuge here. A million euro 
was given to Carlow County Council, was it not? Where has that money gone? What's it been used for? It's used in Ballon. Ballon, yeah. yeah. That's basically for the Ukrainians. Ballon, where uh, there was a Ukrainian reception centre in this, in this county uh, where the Ukrainians would have come originally and then they would have moved on then into more permanent, uh, what do you call, uh, living quarters. So that's where that fund went. Okay, so it's is that not a recognition by the government? It is, but I mean, it's put it this way. Look, I've canvassed public opinion in Tullow over the last week and asked people, uh, you know, two simple questions. Right? Would you welcome more uh, refugees to Tullow? And what are the reasons for your answer? And when you look at the figures, they said uh, that 25% of people would welcome more refugees to Tullow. 75% said no. And I was very interested to know why they were saying no. And some of them actually came straight out and said, look, why are these people here? Other people asked the question, said, look, I'm scared of them. I don't want to be here. But I, I have to say, I hope that I have to say the vast majority of the people who responded said... But the what did you respond as a local representative? What did you respond I hope respond you challenged that misinformation. I, did, I hope yep, you challenged that Absolutely. And I said, actually, have you spoken to refugees? Have you gone out and met them like I have? Like, I could so you name, reassured people, did you, I, that I there's could nothing have to be afraid out. of? There's two people who said that. The, 70, the, the vast majority of people said, look, the real reason why we're, we're concerned about them being here is because... The, the supports right. and services are not I think a huge thing that could help solve an awful lot of these problems are before a private um, individual who owns these premises can um, sign up to a contract that they should be forced to engage with the local services, the Gardaí, the HSE, the council, to make sure that the services are there before they go and make a lot of money of very vulnerable people who are coming here and fleeing very, very Okay, they might say that was the, the job of the community engagement officers as well that were promised but by I the government. What we're I think we're going is... to discuss that. Sorry to cut across you here. We've uh, run out of time because we need to go back to a wider conversation that's happening in studio. My thanks to my guests, to Brian, to Adrian and to Will. Claire, back to you, but we'll be back in Carlo shortly. Kira, thank you for now. Joining me here in studio now are Fianna Fáil MEP Barry Andrews, Independent TD Marion Harkin and Irish Examiner political correspondent Kira Phelan. We'll have more with my guests on all of this after the break. Welcome back. We'll be back to Carlo with Kira later on in the programme, but I'm joined here to reflect on some of the issues by Fianna Fáil MEP Barry Andrews, Independent TD Marion Harkin and Irish Examiner Senior Correspondent Kira Phelan. You're very welcome along to the programme tonight. We did ask Minister Roderick O'Gorman to join us on the programme, but we were told he was not available. Uh, Kira, I want to come to you first because you're from Carlo, so, uh, and you may be familiar with some of the sentiments that you heard expressed. Though, as we know, this is not something that is unique uh, to Carlo. Uh, given the response that we've seen right around the country, do you believe that there's momentum growing uh, against the government response to immigration? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, what we've witnessed over the last couple of weeks in terms of protests and um, the number of protests and I suppose the unfortunate cases of arson attacks in the country, that this is a number one issue on the government's uh, table at the moment. And I was just listening to some of the contributors there and it is what you're hearing from people um, and locals at home back in Carlow. And I suppose 
I was listening to Will in particular and one thing that he brought up was about, you know, services for refugees in terms of English lessons and stuff like that. But realistically, I don't think that's why um, people are protesting outside some of these centres. They're essentially talking about, some of them are saying the lack of uh, services for the communities and also about so they believe that Ireland is full essentially and they don't want any um, more refugees in the area. Now, we did hear examples of how there had been resettlement cases uh, communities in Ireland that took in Rohingya people and also Syrian refugees. And we saw the experience from Zahir there and how he settled into the community. And I think, you know, if there was a, a, a plan by the government and a strategy, it might work a little bit uh, better. That being said, they need to address the issue in terms of overall communication and being clear and concise on the plan for the for the county and for other counties across the country. Kira, you're reporting tomorrow that senior government ministers will discuss a new government strategy on migration. What is their message likely to focus on? Yeah, so this will be the Cabinet Committee on Ukraine. It'll meet on Thursday. It's essentially um, a committee that meets before any further plans go to the three government leaders and, and then to a Cabinet meeting um, to have official sign-off essentially by all Cabinet ministers. Um, so it'll be what we expect in the coming weeks will be a joint memo from Integration Minister Roger Gorman and then Justice Minister Helen McEntee. Roger Gorman is to focus on what we've been hearing about these accommodation centres to acquire uh, buy and lease buildings to accommodate refugees in the long term and then it's my understanding that the Justice Minister Helen McEntee will be overseeing essentially you know a communication strategy um, which will focus on Ireland's new migration policy and a greater focus on you know updating on deportations and ex essentially how we have a fair and rules-based system in Ireland. I know it was mentioned on the panel as well and it's something that the government realised they need to do now is come out and tell the public this is how we you know deal with asylum seekers when they come into the country and how the system is fair in terms of whether they're legally entitled to stay here or not. Yeah. Uh, Barry Andrews, would you say that is very late in coming? Um, yes, I mean, we, do, we didn't want to see this descending into the disorder and the protests and the arson attacks. Nobody wanted to see that. And now the government is trying to mend its hand. And I think that's a little bit late, but of course, so do you it's think the only... The failure it, to act till now or to well, at least, I, I, uh, I, you know... Um, yeah, I, I think... We, have we've... this strategy in place and communicate yeah. that strategy could have... Prevented it could have prevented it. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We, we, we will apply extra resources to the places where the greatest pressure is. We will try to improve the communications and deal with disinformation. And you saw this morning the expert advisory group making recommendations about the matters that are going to come to cabinet in, in a short while. So these are these are remedial measures trying to uh, realign uh, the government's policy with the public mood at the moment. And I think that once we get uh, into the weeds on these issues, I think we will see. Uh, I think a better version of ourselves because what we're seeing at the moment. It's taken so long to do that. Well, I think like the lack of information around this is incredible. I mean, for example, we had 140,000 people arrive into this country last year. Just 3% of them were international protection applicants. So we talk about resources and we think that international protection applicants are the ones that are draining resources. We also think that men coming into uh, towns are going to cause mayhem. And there's no evidence whatsoever to show that there's an increase in crime associated with the arrival of any men. And also, of course, men don't draw on the resources in the same way that, that children will need places in school, they'll need to be assigned a GP, they'll need to perhaps be assigned a social worker. Okay, and yet, so so there's and a, yet we, we, we haven't been able persist, to reconcile And yet that 
that does persist when we see um, protests and the, the views of locals about people coming in um, to, to their town. So we heard from the chair of that expert group that you're talking about advising the government about ending direct provision, that was Catherine Day, saying, you know, long before final decisions are taken, communities need to be informed and involved in discussions about how to provide for and to integrate new arrivals. Absolutely. That, ha that hasn't been done today. No, it hasn't. Been. It has been done in a lot of cases, let's be clear. But in some cases, I think at Carlow, there wasn't, I mean, it, it got it a little bit backwards. Suddenly there's an announcement and now you're trying to backfill and apply resources. But we also have to be honest with ourselves about this, you know, reconciling on the one hand, you some people saying we don't want men coming into our village and yet... You know, you want families to come in who are going to be much more difficult in terms of resources. So uh, we, we really have to have an honest discussion around that. And occur currently, we're not having an honest discussion. Uh, you know, and, and I think we do have to have a discussion about migration. Every other country in the European Union is having a very lively discussion about migration. We have to do it, but it has to be based on the facts. Okay, uh, Marion, who do you blame for that discussion, I suppose, being long overdue and, and some would say not happening to date? To be honest, I do blame government. I mean, last November, I stood up at leaders and I said to the Taoiseach, I said, you are the Taoiseach, you are the person in charge. You are the person to lead this debate, not anybody else. And I remember his response was fine. He talked a lot about the EU and all of this, but that isn't what people wanted to hear. And he talked about the fact that we could have a discussion, but there need to be a strong chair or whatever. And, and I just, I, I feel that we are fed certain pieces of information that, you know, adhere to the government view or what the government wants us to know, but that somehow the general public are treated a little bit like children. We will tell you so much, but we won't tell you the rest. And I think that has fed into a narrative of the government not trusting its own people and not just telling us how it is. And I can give you one example. For example, the Taoiseach talks, we have um, a rules-based system. And he's right, we have. But we don't have a rules-enforced system. And that is very clear. And people know that. People aren't stupid. They're not fools. And they don't like to be taken for fools. So it's important that when it, this is a very difficult situation, I don't blame the government for the fact that there's a war in Ukraine. And what difference do you think that, that would make, sorry, Marion, having that conversation? Because there's some who'd say it doesn't matter what level of communication you have with the community, if they don't want people to come and settle in their town, they will protest. And but, it doesn't matter what level is, of communication you over, have. As Barry said, nearly 140,000 people have settled in different parts of the country. And in truth, there hasn't been that many issues if you look at the overall. And it, but it's the fact that the elastic is stretched well in certain places. We saw Ross Gray. I could give examples in my own constituency. I won't take up your time, but I could. And people feel that they, they need to hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And I think at times we have this paternalistic approach from government. We tell you what we think it's good for you to know, and we won't tell Harry, you the rest. Could the government be accused of that? 
Uh, well, I, I mean, I think the communications have been inadequate so far, but I have to say it's one of the most complex policy areas um, I, I, I've come across. We have European law. Just before Christmas, we had a new uh, migration and asylum pact agreed at European level. Five new regulations that are coming in. Ireland will have to decide whether to opt into this whole raft of legislation over the next few months. Then you have all of the Irish legislation arising right. from the International Protection Act. But what we have already in place, which we've heard is a rules-based system. No, but I think it is important because, OK, they, that, that was an, uh, an EU deal that was struck before mm. Christmas, but we currently have Current a system thing, yeah. of rules in place. So with what is currently in place, do you think there's enough clarity that people know what's happening? And, 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 no, I don't. I, mean, I, don't, we, I, I think there's three... With kid gloves? No, there's, when, no, there's when three need, major deficits here. more facts here. out there? There's three major deficits. I think you're, you're referring to... Michael McNamara wrote a very good piece in The Independent yeah. which describes the failure to deal with the question of people who arrive without documents. Yeah. And that, that is an offence and it should be prosecuted. Yeah. We, we also don't have... Uh, I don't think but, we have public you know, confidence. You see, even saying that now, that's an offence and should be prosecuted. But, yeah. I mean, there, as you say, the majority of people arrive with, without documents. No, they don't. Who, it's not a majority of people who arrive without documents. asylum is that, no, no, is, in, that in the instance. I mean, so, I mean so, or there so is a percentage. It, but, okay? but look, we started talking, we started this conversation, and this is the problem that happens all the time. We started talking about lack of resources. There's no space in Carlo. And now we're talking about the, the whole... Issue. You brought up uh, yeah, the issue yeah, of yeah, documentation. Yeah, but, doc Barry, but, but it's not related. It's not going. The number of people showing up without documents is not imp imp impacting the overall problem. It, what all it what it is doing is okay. reducing public confidence in the in the uh, uh, in our asylum and migration, and that's why we have to tackle those issues. There are other issues. I, if you have time, to I agree. Talk about it. It is reducing public confidence. It's over eight thousand in the last two years, and that's at Dublin Airport. And people say, um, you know, that everybody is vetted and it's all sorted. But we know that that's not actually the case. And the government just no, needs to no, say No, sorry, to say it, it. it is the case. Everybody that comes in looking actually, for... Actually, I shouldn't have used the word vetted. It's yeah. the wrong word. Yeah. Yes, fingerprints are taken, screens, photographs are screens, taken. Yeah. But we do Every know that 8,000 people got on a plane somewhere and they had to have an identity document in the last two years and they arrived in Ireland. Just, we just Barry, need to, to recognise that. Yeah, first that first of all, there's an awful lot of uh, people who are fleeing a well-founded fear of persecution. For example, if I may say, a Rohingya, we heard Sahir there, do you think he's really going to go to the embassy in, in, in Bangladesh and get his passport? Do you think somebody from Syria that's in Carlo now is going to go into Damascus if they're living in Barry, northwest there Syria, are no there's no way they're going to be able to come Damascus here with documents. So, to so they, Dublin. Yeah, I know, but anybody who gets on a flight to Dublin, this, we have is no not legal. From so, so tell me how he's supposed to get no, here. What I'm there's saying no is, legal pathways to migration for these there people are, there who, 60, are, who are actual. I want to touch on. I want to touch on Kira's visas granted right. last year. That's illegal. Tell, tell me how a Syrian I just want to move on to the issue of capacity, if I may, here. And um, I know that the, what was the subject of, of protests in Carlo was around the Capuchin Friary, where, mm. where, where people protest because they didn't want um, people coming there. There's, I think, 11 occupants there right now. Yeah. So the majority of rooms are not taken up. Is this the case in other areas in the country that the government is chasing accommodation, but we actually don't have a figure on, on how many people are in or whether those 
accommodation that have already been assigned are filled to capacity at this point? Well, they're supposed to. So obviously the IPAS um, is the body that deals with bed capacity and they would res respond back to and report into the Department of Integration. So what happens is the process is uh, the companies or the owners of private accommodation that are providing the service to IPAS, they're supposed to report back to the state and to IPAS how many beds are being used. Now, there was questions um, that appeared in the Sunday Indep in Independent this week about whether, you know, full bed capacity was being availed of. Um, it's not entirely clear what system that, and I'm not entirely clear what system the Department of Integration has. Um, in terms of keeping count of it. I'd imagine that they do because IPAS centres uh, and the people who are accommodating asylum seekers obviously need to be paid for and are paid on a contract basis in terms of um, sticking to their obligation there. But uh, the Taoiseach did say, and the Integration Minister, I understand that they're going to do a further examination of this. But just on the, the issue of um, the settlement of refugees mm. into other areas like Carlo, I think it's mm. worth mentioning as well in terms of what we're talking about services and a comparison to Rohingyans and Syrians. It's a feeling of resentment, I think, toward, uh, that people have in certain towns in terms of housing and healthcare. And I think when you see, you know, Ukrainians come into the state um, who are given, you know, medical cards and there might be some people look, looking mm -hmm. at that say that they're on this for ages and I think it's something like that that the government need, really needs to get their messaging um, out there across and about All social right. housing as well. Okay, there we'll have to leave the conversation in studio for now. My thanks to Barry, to Marion and to Kira. We'll leave that there. We'll be back though to Carla, Carla with Kira after this break. Stay with us. joined here in Carlow by the Vice President of Carlow College, Dr Eric Dare. Dr Dare, you're very welcome to the programme. And we hear a lot of labels used in this conversation. We heard it in the first part of the programme, far-right, racist, liberal. You think we're making a big mistake in this conversation by labelling people quickly with those terms. I do. I think we, uh, I think oftentimes we jump to labels and I think when you're arguing or you're looking at an issue and you're debating an issue, I think what, when you label or you jump to label, ultimately what you're doing is you're muddying the waters. You're not actually dealing with the issue and you're silencing someone. Um, when I think when people really, what they want to do is come together and discuss the issues and know that there's different viewpoints and engage with one another in a respectful way um, and engage with the subject. Now, I know we're in a, a, a deeply, uh, I mean, this is a crisis. Um, we are dealing with a lot of different um, uh, global issues. Um, and I think now is the time really for people to be able to voice those opinions, to be able to come together, uh, to discuss them in a respectful way. But how do you do that? Because I've rarely discussed an issue that is as polarizing as the debate that we're currently seeing around immigration. So how do you have that respectful conversation? I think you have to, first of all, own um, that a lot of people are coming from this uh, maybe uh, emo uh, with various emotions, either sadness, anger, uh, fear. Um, and I think you have to name that. And I think you have to be honest with that's where I'm coming from. But resentment, I also, huh? as one of our panelists says, there's a lot of resentment. Perhaps. Um, but I think really what it comes down to, though, is 
the space and where individuals are able to um, engage with those topics. And I think um, here in Carlo, for example, uh, has been referenced to Rohingya and the Syrian resettlement. And a lot of that work has been done um, uh, through various organizations, community organizations, but also education from primary, secondary, all the way up to third level. And I know here at Carlo College, uh, we have done a lot of programming um, in that to try to bring in not only students and staff, but also people from the community to engage in these issues. Because I think oftentimes um, there's a lot of misinformation. I think people are in their silos. People have uh, you know, their, their own viewpoint. And I think really it's about opening that up. Um, and it's about trying to break through a lot of that misinformation. Okay. Are we in danger of becoming a little bit divided the way they are in the U.S. about this issue? I do. I mean, I'm from Iowa, and one of the things, I've been here since 2019, and one of the things that has struck me in the United States, even since I've been away, is they talk past one another. And you have politicians who don't even, um, no longer want to actually engage. They just want to, you know, try not to make the other person look good. And I think Ireland still has that opportunity um, to engage in issues in a substantive way. Um, but I do think it has to start at the community level, and I think also uh, nationally. It's a strategy and how we're going to go forward on this issues. Okay, thank you, Dr. Derek. Back to you in studio, Claire. Kira, thanks for that. And Kira Phelan is still with us. And briefly on this, Kira, how will all of this impact on the local and European elections, the election cycles coming up, and individual parties' handling of this issue? Yeah, I think, first of all, each individual party will have to get their messaging right in it. We have seen a few of you know, parties kind of toe in the line, but I think there's an agreement that they have to take a particular stance on it, whether it's stronger communication. I think, interestingly, it'll be good to see what Sinn Féin actually speak about as well. We have seen, you know, Mary Lou MacDonald coming out and take a certain stance. She's kind of walked that back in recent weeks um, that she'll have to appear to some younger voters as well. And I think it's going to be a massive local and European election issue. I think we might see a, an increase in independent TDs as a result of this too. All right, Kira. thank you for that. Thanks to all our panellists tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also find us on Instagram and on TikTok. But from all the late team here, good night and do take care.